It's Wednesday, allegedly, considering when this is released, and it's episode 17 time, 17, for the Everything Hurts podcast. In this chair is the sentient creature known as Dr. James Heathers, and in that chair, in the land of the herring and the oil payment, is... Dr. Dan Quintana. How are Dr. you, James? Dr. Daniel Quintana. I'm, I'm an interesting gentleman. How how are uh, how are things? Why don't you get excited like I get excited? Get excited. <laughs> this get is going to be this is going to be an interesting one. You just choose to express it differently by sounding unexcited, which is charming. Um, this is going to be a fun episode because it's called Journals. Do we need them? Great question. With a uh, with a uh, a colon and an exclamation mark. No, uh, no. the other one. Question mark. <laughs> question mark it has a uh, yeah yeah little little question do we do we do we need the journal this is uh yeah this is a great question this is it's not a 45 minute podcast question is it and no. we haven't done the second part of uh last week's podcast but we'll get to that we just got excited about this right yeah yeah well it just sort of it just sort of happened and we were both reading some things about it and it just came up it came up like the Loch Ness monster. It raised its head and presented not, well, not like that. It pre- presented itself <laughs> as a topic. It's not in asterisk or anything. It's fine. <laughs> it's going to be. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. Now, um, journals, Dan. How many journals are there? Thousands. Yeah, lots of thousands. Yeah. And many more fake ones than there used to be. Uh, incidentally, a hobby of mine is annoying people at fake journals. Um, yeah, with, do, you, with, do you respond with to the fake emails? articles that I've written. Um I have a, a number of um a number of things that I, I like to do uh for fake journal uh submissions. Uh one of my one of my favorite basic ones is to to write a fake paper using a fake paper generator and then to write a silly abstract or something that can't possibly be true. Usually uh, usually something with a uh, an acronym that can't possibly exist. Um you, you you know uh so something like oh, what was it the one one the other day. It's it, it's utterly juvenile. Mm. So I'll make things that have got an a- a- acronyms like dong and then start talking about the, the the dong effect, and then just have a paper that's full of Lauren Ipsum, which is uh, you know, J- gibberish. It's 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 gibberish. The typeset is used to be able to co- compare how uh, text and pagination stuff looks. Um, the other good thing to do is obviously a lot of the the requests are in terrible English, so I like to mark them. I like to mark the grammar of those and 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 uh, send them back. Yeah. So how's, how's that received? Um, I have never got a response from one of those. I just don't think they have the slightest idea. Um, I don't think they have the slightest idea how it's, what the hell's going on. But the thing is, uh, it's interesting to bring that up because I, you know, I'll probably get these things, these emails, maybe like once a day at least. Mm-hmm. And I think who can who can possibly fall for this? Who can possibly think that these are legitimate journals? legitimate journals but then um uh, but then a a few uh, a few months ago i i got an email from quite is is a this is a bright colleague he's Mm. um you know he's he's more of a he's a clinician but he's also an academic but he's a bright guy 
And he sends me an email going, Dan, check this out. We just got this invitation. I just got this invitation for this journal. I really think we should submit. And he forwarded it to me. And of course, it was one of these scammy ones. And I wrote back going, oh, probably not the best journal. So, you know, if and it's basically the same as those spam emails. It doesn't matter. They can send out thousands of these things because all they're doing is crawling institutional websites to get email addresses uh papers papers too and i think it's open access or pull off corresponding uh corresponding author addresses yeah, yeah or they, they, yeah. they, they pull it off anything but for this to actually work and be successful like the spam emails like the the nigerian prince type emails all you need is a tiny percentage of people to actually respond and it works yeah, of course uh, you're also um if people don't have amazing english it's hard to spot the fact that uh, these things are written. Um, Does, doesn't the highlighted yellow give it away? The the the, the pink caps. Uh, well, yeah. Look, sometimes <laughs> is that. Sometimes sometimes they're not completely ridiculous. Um, some people don't spot the flaws in language like that. But that can also be. I remember uh, reading once that uh, Nigerian people make um, deliberately. They they they're deliberately bad, so they only really entrap naive people because yeah. what really takes most of their time is talking to the people that they've um talking to the people that they've marked up as suckers, right? Yeah, yeah. So if you get if it takes a long time and if you're just continually inundated with responses, I mean we could make an excellent fake journal. Um without without a shadow of a doubt. It'd be infinitely more convincing than these people. The problem after that is then you would have to provide a convincingly real service. Um and you'd be worked off your feet. Yeah. The whole point is is getting the money to come in in a, in a disposable kind of way. Is that people who are thick enough to fall for it are the people you go, oh, okay, now you owe with six hundred dollars, and they go, ah, oh shit, better get the checkbook. Um, so you, that that is that is part of it. Um, mm. but you know that's also one of the reasons that it, it's it's good fun to 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 spell check them. We are very glad to announce that submissions are now being accepted for our successfully running peer-reviewed open access online journal of psychology and clinical psychiatry. Grammar extremely clumsy. Uh, greeting to informal. <laughs> this should be one word. Why is this capitalized? Should be before designated time. Mark C plus see me after class. Um, they don't they don't write back. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> anyway, let's put them to one side. <laughs> Let's put them to one side and talk about the real ones. Um, I want to start with something that's um something that uh, people always bring up, which is that there's lots of fields that don't have formal journals. You're talking about society journals? Um, no, I'm talking about entire areas of um academic endeavor. Okay. Um, in areas of the uh physical sciences, um, maths physics sometimes uh astro stuff they are not big on formal journals what they're big on is uh smashing their stuff out into the world and leaving it there once they've checked it Mm. and they've made sure that it works and they just put it in cyberspace and leave it and that's it that's the end of the story the, the, the things themselves, they receive uh, enough of an identity to cite. Uh, they're assigned a DOI, which is a digital object identifier, which is the one truly crucial thing for locating a paper that everything has to have. Uh-huh. And then after that, they um, they live and die on their merits. So these papers aren't actually getting eventually published. Some will 
stay no, on that, these. That is that's the publication process. Okay. Actually, in, in many in many cases, there's variants of this, of course, but that's the end of the process. Hmm. What do always, you think of that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, then um, that wouldn't really have an impact on promotion or jobs or grants because if it did, uh, then people wouldn't be doing it. So it just seems like within that field. I mean, I think I think it's a great system because every it means every paper is judged on its own merits rather than which journal it's in. Um, it's quicker. You don't have to futz around with um, getting the formatting right. You just write it up how mm. you want and you put it online. Um, but I, as much as I'd love to see it in our area, I just don't, I just don't see it happening. Mm. I just, it's just, it's so entrenched the current system that we have. Um, but I think it's changing though. Like it's incredible the amount of uh, preprints I'm seeing floating around and the, especially within psychology, people seem to be embracing it a lot more. Um, okay, I, uh, for the cheap seats, what's a preprint? It is a article which is before it hasn't actually been peer reviewed. Um, people um, uh, will post them on a preprint server, um, and uh, they usually receive comments. And it's a good way of putting your research out there. So it's essentially giving people pre-publication access to your paper. Yeah, you're making a, a decision that it should be released to the public mm. for dissemination, criticism, uh, wider wider viewing. Yeah. Um, it does something very important, which is establish precedence. Mm. Um, and also, you can b- b- before you attempt any formal publication process, people can see what's in your paper, and anyone who's interested can give you feedback on it. Now, I think the reason that um, people in psychology are initially terrified of doing it is that they're worried. Because with every single paper you submit in the cover letter, you have to write, this paper hasn't been submitted elsewhere or isn't under consideration. People are worried about that. But when you really look closely, um, there's a great, I think there's a Wikipedia page which actually has every single publisher's policies. We'll post that um, on our our show notes. And you Mm. can look at this Wikipedia page and you can see specifically for each publisher or for each journal what their policies are. And most of them are actually pretty liberal. The majority of publishers don't actually care whether you put something on a preprint server or a personal website or whatever. Some of them, a very small majority, a very small minority actually say, no, you can't even do that. But the majority are totally cool with it. It's called self-archiving in their parlance. Yeah, that's right. So this list is a list of journals that support, uh, journals or publishers that support self-archiving and those that don't. Yeah. Um, is there any defense for uh, not allowing self-archiving? Uh, that, the journals don't usually say. They just say it's not allowed. Small minority, though. And why would they, why would they do that? Uh, they, they want to be the first ones with the idea, with the paper. I think it's the general reasoning. Pretty much. Hmm. Okay, so this obviously changes in... This changes between fields. And mm. it probably changes between um uh between subfields and between individual journals. Yeah? Yeah. Do you know what the Do you know what the arguments are for not allowing it prior to publication? Uh purely for novelty, to so they can be the first ones. Hmm. I mean, they don't. Because I can't think. I've thought about this really hard over the last thirty seconds, which is why I sound so hesitant and bizarre. And I can't think of any supportable reason 
I think it's just simply a matter of, uh, you know, they don't, they don't want what they consider to be their stuff to be elsewhere. It yeah. has commercial value, and that's the end of the story. Well, the idea being that even once it's um, once it's uh, eventually published, they don't want people potentially not paying a subscription or not paying the ridiculous uh, one-time fees of reading the, the paper when they can easily go to the preprint. I think it really just comes down to that. It's lost, uh, essentially lost revenue when you really think about it yeah. for them. Yeah, I mean, I mean not at, on an individual basis. That's hard to calculate, but I'm sure they've got sort of field-wide statistics on that. Mm. Um yeah, so it, it, I think it's just a, the, the, the non-acceptance of that is largely a cultural thing rather than something that you can't get away with in some kind of, uh, in some kind of you know. Um, Elsevier is generally cool with it. I'm reading through the thing now. Mm. Um, obviously, all the big open access journals are cool with it. Um, science, PNAS, current biology... Uh, current biology, the cell group people have a weird policy. I've just found it here. It's like, if you have questions about whether posting a manuscript or data you plan to submit to this journal on an openly available preprint server, etc., would affect consideration, we encourage you to contact an editor so we may provide more specific guidance. I wonder if the provided specific guidance is, no, fuck off, you can't do that. Yeah, why, um, why, would, they, why would they do that? I don't know, it just sounds like it's creating yeah. work for editors to me. Well, well um, I, I, it's almost seems like people are... neuron, yeah. But but generally speaking, it seems like most of the big publishers uh, seem to be generally generally cool with it. Well, it's the the, the thing is if it's not if it's some version of it's not available somewhere. Um, people are so good at giving things away. Have you ever honestly not been able to get your hands on something that you need? If that's uh, the case, it's only ever because of its its rarity for all sources. Like um, you, your paid library access and everyone else's paid library access doesn't work. Yeah, but basically, but I, I can't that's remember a one very small percentage of tiny. of of uh, available things. Not some things you have some access somewhere. Yeah, yeah, super. Um, rare. You only have slightly less access if you go through all the non-official, unapproved channels, of which <laughs> there is so many ways of accessing published. Mm. information um and you know of course we don't want to support anything illegal but say you were going to do it uh i've prepared a list of all the ways that you can uh get published work although i should emphasize now you should never do any of these and where, where where's this list <laughs> <laughs> well look, the most obvious one is that people are self-archiving their own stuff yeah you know? um and Google as well is, I mean, Google is wholesale uh, because the algorithm search lab websites and university websites and everything like that, it manages to uh, manages to identify these things to put them into Scholar, yeah? Does such a great job. Yeah, so I mean, you, you might find eight versions of the same paper and two of them are PDF versions because someone needed it for readings for a graduate seminar somewhere, stuck it on the internet. And then yep. the spiders found it, and then managed to archive it with the rest of the copies. A few of my papers are actually that, that that's exactly what's happened. I haven't even um, put these papers on, and before I know it, it's on some website somewhere. I'm like, I'm, I'm cool with that. Yeah. So Might there's lots be. of other. Yeah, of course you are, because I mean, that actually saves you the trouble of having to give them away. Huh? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. awesome. Less work for a hooray. Um, obviously, there's preprints. We just talked about that. Mm. Um, if you physically go to a lot of universities. 
Um, like if you have a local one and it has guest access, sometimes guest access stuff is you, you can get through to the library. I've had that a few times where I've been a, on a, a conference. Uh, actually, I was at an NIH conference uh, once and I had to look something up and I had guest Wi-Fi access and everything in the entire universe worked. I just I logged bet, straight in. I, I bet if you're at the uh, NIH. Hmm. Or well, absolutely fantastic. So you can physically go there. Um, hmm. And then there's, there's less... Um, there's more straightforward methods, like you ask the author or you ask someone who's got library access to send it to you. Yeah. Which is obviously straightforward. Yeah. Um, or there's Sci-Hub and similar websites, which are technically doing very large copyright infringement, and you shouldn't use them. You shouldn't use, for instance, the uh, the extension that works everywhere, which is uh, Sci-Hub.cc. Um, SCI-HUB.cc. Do, do not use that to uh, circumvent copyright. It's naughty, <laughs> um, and there's um I've I've limited experience with it, but um there's some fairly heavy duty copyright infringement going on on the non World Wide Web part of the internet, the dark net. I did not know that. Yeah, um, well have a have a Google around, see what you can find. Um, it's probably not necessary to get yourself a copy of Tor and go in, but uh, because you know it's all available somewhere else. Yeah, uh, yeah. Obviously, there's uh, I can has PDF the the hashtag. That's great. That's worked for me a few times. Well, yeah, that's usually I find that a lot of researchers rely on that simply because it's going to be some weird wrinkle. Like the n- number of times uh, I've I've used that when I've had two subscriptions. Like one ends in the library because they've bought all these <laughs> horrible bundles. The publishers bundle journals together and sell them, sell access to. Uh, let's make it up 120 at a time or something. But they come with these asinine restrictions. So you'll get something like, we have everything in this journal from 1976 to the end of 1999. And then you'll have some other subscription from a different publisher to the same journal. But it starts in 2002. Yeah. And, of course, the papers that you wanted from 2000 to 2001. <laughs> so you have a subscription to 40, 50-odd years of the journal, but just not the two that you need. Uh, in that case, it's, yeah, you know. You do, but people ask other people to send it to them. Um, so there you go. There's um, there's your there's your the copyright. That's how well that's going to work in perpetuity. Mm. Um, considering that's happening now, that solves the problem on an individual level, but it doesn't really solve the problem on an institutional level for the simple reason that universities are generally government-funded institutions that must, at the very least, be seen to obey the law. <laughs> So if you want to give people access to a particular journal, the university has to provide you with uh, the, the the tools to do your job. Mm-hmm. And you can't just go solve your own problems, uh, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, it'll all work out from here, sunshine, don't worry about it. You have to say, um, you know, uh, here's, our, here's our money and here's our bundled subscription stuff. Mm. Um, and journal bundling, if you uh, there's actually a fairly active community of academic librarians on the internet, and their opinions on journal bundling are not pleasant. Well, I saw there was um, most of these um, most of the, most of the journal most of the publishers are actually keeping it quite secret because they charge different universities different some different amounts of money, and yes. uh, someone all the librarians actually got together and go, all right, tell us how much. You're you're paying, and they made uh, this this cool looking uh, figure, which I'll we'll have to find, which actually plotted exactly. And, and it, it doesn't actually. You'd think, you know, the the bigger the institution, the more they pay, but it's nothing like that at all. 
Yep. Some some institutions they manage to squeeze more out, some some less out. So it's a negotiation. The, the, yeah. The problem is um that the universities the universities need access, um, and you have an ongoing negotiation that, that depends on a, depends on a lot of things. Um, obviously, some institutions need greater access to different sorts of things. Some institutions are by everything. I've had a few situations where there's stuff I haven't had access to, and if you ask someone at a uh, ask someone at a Ivy League university or at a Max Planck Institute, they have access. Mm. They have access to everything. Um, so obviously, like if you've got a liberal arts college or something, doesn't need access to a lot of scientific journal bundles. Uh, it's the same business and economics journals as well. Can be very pissy. Mm. Um, so you know, on and on it goes, and the, it's not it's it's a they enter into a negotiation with the the publishers to find out how much they can get them to pay. So the point is, of course, is at the end of the day that that is you are you are negotiating with someone who is the money that they have is is public money. Mm. Uh, it's been provided for. It's provided to provision that particular service, and you're negotiating more of it away from them. Uh, so you're, I mean, you're kind of negotiating with someone who is in a sense acting in the public good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it's like saying, um, well, we've got electricity to this apartment or sewerage to this apartment. And those, these things are, come under more of the heading of sort of human rights and utility. It's not the difference between internet and super fast internet. It's the difference between, uh, being able to see in the dark and take a <laughs> shit and not befoul your place of living. <laughs> Um, and the alternative, I mean, and there's there's other public policies that are like that. So in in Boston, for instance, it's illegal for the heating to go out for more than a day. Okay. Because it can kill you. Yeah, t- total sense. So I mean, obviously, not all landlords adhere to things like that because a lot of landlords are awful. Um, but the vast majority of the time, uh, if the boiler goes down in an apartment building, people go, oh, okay, well, I'm sure they'll have it fixed soon because they're required to by law. Mm. And that's considered not just a utility, but it's obviously that enters into the public good. It's now illegal not to provide people the thing that they need. Mm. Um, and under that particular, in in that milieu, you can consider like research that is needed for public education yeah. that originally was funded with public money. And the idea of negotiating to get more out of the budget is obviously uncomfortable for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, academic librarians are one of the drastically underappreciated groups of people mm. in the, you know, academe more broadly. Um, I've had some really good interactions with them, like stuff I need, think, things that need to happen. I want to know how something works. Um, They're great. Yeah. I really are. Um, Shout out to all the academic librarians. Yeah. If we have any uh, listening, it seems unlikely, but um, <laughs> uh, if they, we both, we both, we both, uh, we both think you uh, come from an uh, underappreciated place. Yeah. Um, and they think very hard about what they do. It's a very active community of people uh, in general, and their views on how they the the products that they are forced to provision for their institutions, their views can be relatively strident. <laughs> um why don't we take a why don't we take a quick break now and then get back to traducing the universe let's do it cool. be back soon 
Welcome back to Everything Hurts. We are in episode 17 and uh, and we are talking about journals. Do we need them? But before we get back into it... Um, <laughs> before we get back into the episode... Um, <laughs> Just want to let you know that if you want to contact us, if you have any episode ideas, we've had a few of you contact us with some great ideas. So keep them coming. Um, you can uh, you can reach us on Twitter at at Hertz Podcast. You can also find our Facebook page. Just give us a search and you'll find us there. Did we get new um? Did we get new episode ideas? Yeah, we've we're not not new new ones, but in the past we've got episode ideas. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah. I haven't talked to him since yesterday. I mean, it's um, not 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 like, not 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 since then. No, okay. Right. Um, no, we haven't done the ones we've already got. No, no, that's right. Yeah, right. Um, uh, but yeah, speak to us. Let us know. You can also send us an email to everythinghurtspodcast at gmail dot com. Um, but yeah, if you follow us on Twitter or like us on uh, on Facebook, then you can keep up to date with our episodes, uh, what we're up to, and uh, we put a few bits of extra information on there as well. Um, we've got a whole heap of new followers on Twitter, so uh, thanks for that as well. And uh, lots of people retweeting our stuff, so we really um, we really appreciate that. But enough on that. We are talking about journals, and uh, you sent me a interesting uh, a Guardian article, James. Yeah, yeah, I certainly did. Oh, yeah. good, you read that. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear me. Um, I've seen longer strings of horse shit uh, behind, for instance, uh, a stampeding horse. Um, but not a lot that were in print. Uh, and the article's called Think Academic Publishers Are Greedy? Do Your Research. Um which is, I mean, it's difficult to make a data-driven argument to an audience full of academics. So he didn't do amazingly. Uh, the whole thrust of the article is the academic publishing market is worth four and a half billion pounds to the UK economy. Mm. Um, and all of that money's being well spent by uh, sensible companies with reasonable profit margins ethical business practices and the general support of the scientific and humanities communities in mind which is of course bollocks yeah so you, you read it what did you think of it yeah i, I mean, mean I, don't, I, don't, I don't mean to to cure you or anything no i mean when, when, I, when I... i've been accused of a few, by a few people in the last little while um you're your colleague, whoever the hell it was, who, who, who accused me of having snarky rhetoric, I told uh, a, a good friend of mine, and uh, he went, yeah, well, you do have snarky rhetoric. That's See? not very nice. <laughs> now, I'm best here. On, when, when I saw this, because uh, you told me originally when you sent this to me that this was actually the, the editor of a journal. Yeah. So oh, I thought, you're, you're, yeah, you're, we we got um we got two we got two things confused. Yeah, because yes. the thing is, if I was reading this from and it was from the perspective of an editor of a journal, I'm like, okay, cool, I'm going to hear what she has to say. But hearing actually the backstory of this guy makes it a bit different, um, particularly because he's appealing purely for an economic sense, which isn't the best way to defend yourself against a bunch of academics. Um, and uh, he's so he was specifically responding to an article called "It's Time to Stand Up to Greedy Academic Publishers," um, uh, which is written by which was written in April 
I remember reading it a little bit after my birthday. Yeah. Um, and the guy who wrote that is an actual researcher. Um, and he's part of, there's a thing called, uh, open knowledge. And it's, uh, it's, it's the, it's, it's a, it's a non-profit that is trying to basically release public information. Mm. I mean, open, it's, it's self-descriptive. We would, we would like to, we'd like to do exactly what it sounds like. Um, so, you know, as far as a, yet yeah, his his motives are clear but his motives yeah. seem to be the idea that people in the public who pay tax and the tax gets used to generate public knowledge should have access to the knowledge that's mm. one of the central tenets of you know the whole game mm. yeah so yeah that was his article and you said this is this new one this is a response to calling them a bunch of naughty greedy people and I think one of the main points that um, that he makes is that uh, you know the whole publication game is actually there's a lot more happening behind the scenes, which is true. But uh, there are so many examples of journals. I mean, it depends what you really think a journal is. If you think a journal is just uh, you know a medium to get research out there, then there are journals that are doing it much cheaper and getting the job done. Great example that we've spoken about in the past is PeerJ. Um, you can either pay a lifetime forever subscription and publish there for 199 us or you can pay if you if you don't want to do that um you can pay a um a single article subscription for i believe around 700 yep. so yeah so 700 us dollars yeah. 700 us dollars so that is a good demonstration of it can actually be done now By it specifically you mean Putting research peer reviewed, a pay to publish journal that works normally like a normal journal does. Yes, where you submit something, it's appropriately reviewed by people who are in your research area, which hopefully improves the paper and removes any papers that are insane or unpublishable. Yeah, uh, which happens still to a remarkable degree. Um, and then it's published in a format which is appropriately databased, which is appropriately indexed, which has proper public access, um, and is maintained with a sense of longevity. Mm. And the whole journal was started in the in the first place because they were trying to start this very normal meat and potatoes function journal full stop. Maintain it completely open access, so there's no charges to read any of it. Mm. Um, and do it by saving a lot of money on the back end from how they supported and did their databasing and how everything was stuck together um, and seeing how much better they could do at that than PLOS One. Now, I believe PJ is a non-profit journal, but I'm not actually sure of that. Because one of the things, uh, one of the misnomers is people think that PLOS One is not a for-profit organization. PLOS One is a for-profit company. That's what it's for. It's designed to make money. It has a business model. Yeah. Um... As far as I'm aware, I'm not actually I'm not actually sure about PJ. Um, I I thought it was, but I've never actually formally uh, formally checked. Well, I don't, don't think. Uh, well, anyway, don't think they're, they're, make they're, very much. They're, yeah, um, they're they're charging. <laughs> they're not charging much, or well, enough to at least cover costs. But you make a good point that um, that is yeah a good meat and potatoes journal. Now, a good counterexample of that is uh, is eLife. Yeah. So hmm. this journal, um, which was um, founded, what, what were the institutions that that founded? Uh, 
the 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 Welcome Trust. Oh, put me on the spot. Um, Welcome Trust. The uh, Humboldt. Yes. No. How it is. Yeah. So this um this journal uh they recently they they're, they're quite transparent about uh, their finances which I think is great and um oh, yeah and they release annual reports and stuff don't they yeah I think I think oh, so that's awesome. but but they were, yeah so very transparent and they said recently that um now these guys are uh this this journal is quite prestige in the sense that um there's press releases there's paid editorial staff really nice looking website fantastic uh, really well supported. Yeah. And uh, they revealed that the cost per uh, per publication was about three and a half thousand pounds. Now, how much does that work out US? Uh, That's somewhere seven? pushing three and a half thousand pounds. I bet about yeah. five grand. I think. Um, yeah. So that's the cost, and and this is them trying to do it uh, just enough to cover the costs. Yeah. So uh, five thousand and ninety. There you go. Five thousand and ninety. Um, and this is for a uh, what what you would consider to be a you know a prestige open. This is a journal. four and a half star hotel journal. Y- yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the, the whole um, the acceptance rate is is very low, and that's like not artificial. 14, people who are in mainly the biological sciences who are accepting things when they they're really genuinely convinced it's very good. Yeah. Um, it's and you can run as I don't have a lot of. Uh, I, I run hot and cold on this sometimes. Is that the, the whole idea of uh, things need to be things need to be bounced because they're insufficiently novel can be very dangerous. But it's also possible to curate a journal that's mainly full of stuff that is really widely cited that people pay a lot of attention to. Mm. Um, and I know people in the biological sciences who immediately put eLife into that top tier of publication stuff. As in, if we can get an eLife paper, it's going to mean a great deal. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're not big on impact factors, but everything that's been in the journal that I've seen, I don't have much contact with a lot of this stuff, mainly epi and public health research. But what I've seen, things that go into that journal have the shit cited out of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so whatever they're whatever they're letting in, it's um, it's good. It's also a new journal, so I mean, citations obviously accrue over time. Things become mm. more uh, important in retrospect. Uh, citation metrics are, are mostly awful. But things things will things will be cited um, mm. if they're of immediate relevance, and that when techniques change very quickly, as they often do in you know uh, microbioproteomics, uh, you know various areas of genetics, neuroscience, etc. Mm. Uh, how how things are done, uh, the, the individual results change things very fast, and it's also it's run. Like, it's not like uh, you know, ah, new new theory on Nietzsche that turns world of philosophy on its head doesn't doesn't. It's a completely different environment. You have new tools, you have new theories, you have new stuff that you discover all the time. Um, and yeah, so the the papers are jumped on like starving dogs. And what you said about it before, I remember this. Uh, is that this is like a uh, we're trying to create an open access analog of one of these really top tier science, nature, neuron, cell etc sorts of journals and mm. how's it going to look and they're trying really to do that the whole point being of course is that this is an open access journal and you pay this upfront fee but at that point in time there is no publisher that is going to a university and trying to pry the family jewels out of the case to try and get them to buy a subscription to these really really expensive journals yeah so I mean, at that point in time it's paid for and it's it's paid for and that's the end of the story 
Now, here, here's an interesting proposal that I saw someone mention on Twitter a few days ago is that, um, you know, they were saying that essentially a lot of these journals have some sort of conflict of interest, whether it's because they are, they're they a, a for-profit organization like uh, like PLOS or whether mm. they're like, um, like eLife who yep. essentially are publishing stuff that's interesting. And they were saying, let's cut out the middleman why don't we actually have the national um, uh, funders starting their own journals? So you, you you're completely cutting things out. So you have the the NIH big, journal, yeah, the National Science Foundation journal, the Australian Research Council journal, yeah. the Wellcome Trust journal, the yeah. Simons Foundation journal. Oh. So so rather than sort of putting the money out, giving it to the giving it to the um, to the researchers that are going to be giving it back to a journal, why don't these funders start their own journals? Completely impartial. Doesn't matter about um, you know uh, they 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 can do it well. Doesn't matter about how um, how much impact there 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 is for a paper. Um, I thought that's not a that's not a bad idea. Mm, can you submit something that is funded elsewhere? To I mean, let's say let's take the uh, National Science Foundation Journal. Yep. Um, which we just created. So which yeah, which we, I mean, on on behalf of a multi-billion-dollar government organization, <laughs> we've just managed to create. But you know, that's the magic of the internet, isn't it? Yeah. Um, we've just created that. Who can publish in it? Is it people who are receiving NSF funding, or is it anyone at all? I mean, I let, let's look at the model of clinicaltrials.gov. Okay. Yep. Obviously funded by the U.S. government. However, they're open for anyone to submit their... Register their, the clinical trial, yeah. Yeah, and anyone can do it. Um, same thing with the Australian and New Zealand clinical trials registry run by the NHMRC, but mm-hmm. anyone can actually submit there. So, obviously, you know, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that um, people internally within those countries or people who are funded by those organizations need to need to submit there so i don't know maybe maybe there's some sort of requirement that if you do um, win a grant there you have to submit stuff there i wouldn't know how it would work i wouldn't know whether it's financially viable for them to take in all comers but perhaps you if you're funded it's free but if you're not you pay a fee which just covers the costs i don't know something like that okay um Considering how easy it is now, I mean, if if they wanted to do something like that, the nice part is there's enough journals in the public interest where if they said to one of the existing journals, we would like to use your back end, we would either like to license your physical hardware and or software and or database, etc. solution mm. for making our own journal. Uh, and we want to do this to give uh, the money away. I'm pretty sure you could get a not-for-profit journal with a, a reasonable capacity to maintain this to help you. Obviously, sure. they would be doing it for money. That it would go, it would fit into their broader, uh, their broader mission of trying to fix this as a problem. It, it means that you can you can avoid having to license what you need of people who are already trying to make money off you. Mm. Um, so that's the first that's the first hurdle taken care of. Um, Look, considering that, I mean, an awful, I know an awful lot of people who just say, oh, I don't really care about anything, and post-publication review is everything, because the people who really care about stuff will see it. Mm. Um, obviously, there's, look, there's limitations. I t- absolutely respect that point of view, because you've been party to some of my post-publication reviews. <laughs> they can be uh, either, but well, basically, um, uh, generally, I get either very excited about something, uh, or I get psychotically angry that someone could get 
something done that badly like it's a it's a personal insult to everyone else who works in the field because they can't be bothered <laughs> taking basic uh basic straightforward fundamental controls over what they're doing because they have no respect for themselves or others <laughs> um and it's as infinitely worse when they come from a place where I, I can understand that uh, not everyone enjoys excellent resources to do their work, that they haven't had access to appropriate institutional support, that they, they don't have the right amount of money to pay students or get good equipment. But uh, if you're from somewhere where that excuse starts to fall flat, it makes it a lot worse. And mm. often it's people who are from who are publishing other stuff that is occasionally good that are also publishing the stuff that's genuinely terrible. Yeah. So... But look, I really don't think post-publication review can do all the heavy lifting of this um, for the simple reason that when you accept the role of reviewing something, I think that it's a socially mandated thing we do when it comes to research. And if yeah. I review something, I will review it in much more detail in the formal job of reviewer than I ever will as the informal job of gentleman who gets angry on the internet. <laughs> Of course. So, uh, I've also what's your, had, what's your rule? I've also had some such some I've had such marvelous experiences from time to time with senior people in my area who've peer reviewed something that I've written, and I feel a little silly that I've missed stuff that they've pointed out, and I think that they make you look a lot better than you are. That it becomes more of an expression of the field. Yeah, for sure. And that it feels collegial like you're being brought into something where it's appropriate that you learn how things work and there's an element of this weird unconscious kind of mentorship that happens and i think that is a valuable process it's also something that it's it's enjoyable because you'll get very limited praise people will say things like this is this is novel or it's or it's or it's interesting no one ever goes this is the best thing in history move over move over napoleon uh, you're, you're off the list um so switching to an entirely post publication review model uh it has its own it has its own drawbacks mm. and i think that's the the center i know it's somewhat nebulous it's like a, it's a psychological thing but I, I i do i do think that that's a real real factor yeah yeah Look at me being thoughtful resisting the temptation to yell um all I could think of while I was talking previously was things that we've seen in the last fortnight or so that made me um, angry. Yeah, we've seen and a few of those papers, how haven't much we? I, uh, yeah, and how much I wanted to tell people uh, what they were and uh, how much, how far into the sea some of these people need to walk, <laughs> which is quite, quite some way. We, we, but we still need to um we still need to do our, our episode where we actually talk about what's good in the field. <laughs> yes, things things always draw back a bit. Uh, What's what's wrong with everything? Um, yeah, but so that's the idea. I mean, we're also trying to. It's not interesting to talk about it more broadly. To yeah, talk about yeah. what's wrong with it. To talk about the specific details of the stuff that you're trying to do to fix it. Yeah, it, we instantly become a specialty podcast where people who listen to hear you be pleasant and interesting and then hear me throw rocks at stuff um, rapidly <laughs> stop paying attention to the details. If you want to do a podcast that's just on uh, biological psychology. Um, that's a total. That's a job for someone else completely. Very specific. That's beyond too specific. It's yeah. it's not just niche. It's a complete waste of your time. Yeah. Um. 
What were you going to say before? I get the feeling I just interrupted you on uh, about 10 minute basis. I don't even, I don't remember. God, are we getting old? Yeah, I think so. It was, uh, yeah, it might come back to me. Mm, so I hope we've, I hope we've, we've covered it in there yeah. somewhere. Um, do you buy at all the article that journals are providing a lot of added value? And so they are, their business models essentially sound and straightforward. Uh, I mean, they're the paid for journals aren't necessarily providing more value than, um, than open access journals. I mean, look, look at, um, I mean, this, um, I think what I, what I was, I think what I was going to say before was that eLife actually operates much like these journals in the sense that they have, they have a lot of editorials. Um, they invite sort of debate papers as well, which is something which uh, these. Uh, they have they have an active editorial staff that's basically maintaining things. But also, look if you need if you need your research to get out into the broader everything else, um, yeah. they have press offices like uh, a university or a large company has press offices, and sometimes yeah. they're very good. I've had good and bad experiences with university media people, but in general, um, they did a press release for me once a normal press release when I was a PhD student. I didn't ask them to. They wrote around to the department basically and said, have you got anything interesting happening because we've got big holes? And I think it might have even been me. I'm like, yeah, publish that. There you go. I just got that into whatever. Yeah. And they came back and a woman from the Australian turned up the next week to take photographs. Um, That's, which was absolutely, That's great. absolutely ridiculous. Taking a photograph of me. Why would you? I'd use a line drawing sooner. <laughs> so you had an, an hour of me scowling at her in a laboratory before she decided it was a terrible idea. They ran the story anyway. It was in the, you know. In the Australian. It got, it got way more interest than... There's, there's the, the power of that kind of media, as much as the new media is all very cute, the power of the established old media to get things like that where important things around is massive. Yeah, yeah. It's so much bigger. So if you if you bong out a few press releases and you know what you're doing, get it into the right hands, talk to the right people, etc. Um, if you want your work to be broadly disseminated, and like uh, Gail said before, that's now something that people can be assessed on. Yep. Nothing's going to do that like... Uh, Nothing's going to do that like the the old avenues can. Trust me. Oh yeah, I've done I've done both. I've promoted my own stuff, and I've had people just for a lark even promote my stuff through those channels. And um, yeah, it happened in the conversation once. They had media offices that are doing a thing before I knew what I'm doing. I'm on Sky News talking about drugs in sport. Um, I'm on the radio going. Look, I'm not even a pharmacologist. <laughs> the reason I know most of this stuff is like it's a combination of uh, it's a combination of the physiology that I have to do and the fact that I know a lot of meatheads. Mm. That you know, I've seen I've seen drugs in sport close up. It's never, it's never a problem. It's just I don't think you get the two perspectives. And everyone went, oh yeah, look, you'll do. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. And you go, you do a radio show. Someone calls you professor, and you go, geez, I hope anyone who's a professor doesn't hear that. Yeah, because <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna laugh at me. You, you didn't um, correct them, did you? What? You, did you correct them? You never have time. And if yeah. you do it on a, a recorded segment, if someone goes, hey, it's Professor James Hazard, you go, I'm not a, I'm not a professor. I'm not, even a, I'm not even a PhD yet. I'm just a guy. They're <laughs> doing a thing. If you do that, they'll cut it out. And, yeah, um, yeah, for sure. And you're gone. Uh, they don't do it live. Um, but if you did that, also, you sound like the world's pissiest bastard. But I'll, I'll try not to be pissy. I found the I've got uh, different ways of being unpleasant. The, you found the what? The lo- local press offices are actually really good. I mean, they're they're looking for it's a win-win. You're looking to get your research out there. They're looking to publish stories, hmm. and uh, these like, I've, the local ones at University of Oslo have been fantastic. Um, we put oh, out good. our story on our first oxytocin trial paper, 
And uh, yeah, it got picked up everywhere. Eventually, I think the biggest outlet we got was Forbes. So Forbes magazine did write up about our about our research, which is really oh. cool. But yep. um, yeah, it, it got everywhere. And I think as a result, um, we recently had uh, Reuters come and film a segment, which should be online within the next few weeks sometime. Um, or because we just have a really um, great uh, press office here. There you go. Yeah. And that's the kind of stuff that your submission fee to your life is paying for, is what you're saying. Exactly. They also write references. If you get something in and it works well, they will compel the senior editor to write a reference about how special and interesting your work is. How good that? A lov- that's a lovely touch because that can be for-, for hiring committees and stuff, especially in those sorts of sciences where you spend four years. Six people spend four years working on one paper. Yeah, this is yeah. not this is not our world at all. This no. is uh, there's more more money and more clever people and more 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 stuff. Um, you know, the, uh, millions millions of dollars are being handled. Granted, asked for are very large. When things go down, you know, results don't work. Uh, yeah, huge huge problems occur. Um, I, yeah, it's a it's a very important service. So, if they can keep all the lights on just through a publication fee, especially a publication fee that's being charged to someone who's generally working off a very large amount of soft money. Mm. So you get two or three million dollars to do some, you know, just anything, anything in biology now that's ludicrously complicated. You've got all this cash and they say, oh, it would be five grand to stick the thing in. But um, the review is excellent. Um, the journal is extremely well thought of. It's very well maintained. The editor in chief is a Nobel laureate, mm. not some donkey from the deputy prime minister's office. Um. <laughs> Yeah, I can I can absolutely see the point. I can see why people very quickly adopted the perspective of this is a top tier journal, as much mm. as they reject some of the trappings of journals being good or bad. I think we should wrap it up there. Mm, yeah, all right. Uh, but uh, we'll be back against uh, again next week, and we we might do our, our part two of this psychology, but uh, you know we'll, we'll get around that eventually. What well, yeah. Well, let's see how let's see how much uh, let's see how how well we t- we spend a couple of weeks sometimes wondering how the, well these episodes will do. Yeah. So if everyone's thoroughly bored with that. We're not doing part two. Take that. Yeah, sounds or good. Or you can do it by yourself. I'll sit here and glower at you. <laughs> Perfect. See you later. Bye.